Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, February the 13th, 2023. I've been re uh, Ken Burns' magisterial miniseries on the television, his jazz series, uh, really essential viewing. It was a 2001 uh, documentary, but it's as relevant today as ever. And when I was watching it, it occurred to me in some ways that perhaps uh, hip hop is the 21st century equivalent of late 19th or early 20th century jazz. Uh, maybe a rather unimaginative way of thinking about it, but I thought I would begin our show today, which is uh, a show about hip-hop. New book out, edited by my guest, one of the editors, Freedom Moves, uh, Sami Alim, who teaches uh, at UCLA and is one of America's leading authorities on hip-hop. Sami, is it a rather crude analogy to compare... 21st century hip-hop with the history of jazz music? It's not a crude analogy at all, Andrew. I think actually it's a it's a wonderful way to begin uh, because we're now in 2023 celebrating 50 years of hip-hop cultural history, right? And so in so many ways, there is such a rich uh, musical, verbal, linguistic, poetic tradition that unites uh, hip-hop and jazz and previous Black uh, American art forms and musical forms. And so it's not crude at all. In fact, um, one could link hip hop and jazz in so many ways, not the least of which is uh, how hip hop artists have made use of jazz, right? And have improvised also in their own production of music and lyrics. And so the very core sort of improvisational nature of jazz uh, lives and lives on in hip hop culture as it did before jazz, right? And uh, after. And with so, the blues, of course, which blues, is the foundation of all yes, um, African-American musical culture. The, the two things in particular, um, so, Sammy, that occurred to me when watching the jazz thing mm-hmm. is firstly, and you've implied this already, the political nature of jazz, how new, how shocking it was. Right. Um, and and uh, hip hop today for many people still seems a little shocking, which I think gives it its vitality, its relevance but also the way in which jazz was invented by African-Americans, particularly in New Orleans, and then got picked up by white musicians. Could one say the same about hip hop? I mean, this is an interesting thing. So we talk about jazz, right? And I, you know, I had the opportunity to uh, teach a course uh, with Chuck D of Public Enemy last spring. And this was through the UCLA Hip Hop Initiative and we were launching our first inaugural artist in residence program, we couldn't think of anybody better than Chuck D of Public Enemy to be in conversation with over a period of 10 weeks, every single Wednesday night for three hours, sitting in the same room, learning with him, dialoguing with him, discussing hip hop with him, all of those connections through geography, history, uh, music, over time and space, the way hip hop develops, it was a lesson for everybody in the room. Um, and it was, a, it was a wonderfully groundbreaking sort of historical moment uh, for what we were doing here at the initiative at UCLA. Um, but he talks about hip hop culture in very interesting ways. And I'll say this really quickly. 
he describes hip hop as the next iteration of black creativity for survival. So we can pause on two things there, right? Black creativity and survival. And so in so many ways, we had this beautiful conversation with Chuck D, with Rakim, one of the legendary MCs in hip hop history, and also with Talib Kweli, who's carrying that torch forward in this generation. Uh, and you can see that chapter in the book in Freedom Moves. It's one of the first chapters. In fact, it is the first chapter after the introduction because they link that tradition. So Chuck D says about black creativity for survival, the music, the message had to be coded because you couldn't just say, slave master, put that whip away, right? You had to encode the music and the message in the music, right? And so Talib Kweli followed up with saying that um, hip hop culture. Uh, so you had Martin Luther King talking about a riot is the language of the unheard. And so Talib says hip hop culture, right, is that riot, the language of the unheard. And Chuck D talked about a riot going on, as did Sly and the Family Stone, as did others before them, right? And so that tradition, I think, historically is really important to talk about in our efforts to understand hip hop culture and where we are 50 years from that date, 1973, all the way up until now. Um, so there's there's a lot you could say about that. So that's when, um, so uh, we may have got into the deep end before we even <laughs> learned how to swim on this one, uh, Sammy. Give us a brief overview of, of what exactly hip hop is, the dates, the major figures. You've already mentioned Chuck D, one of the great man of American music of the last 50 years. I had the good fortune right. of meeting him a few years ago. We did some stuff together, remarkable man and artist. Um, right. so, so give us the overview, because not everyone is, is familiar with hip hop. And, and some people get kind of confused with all the different terms, rap versus hip hop, blah, blah, blah. So the, the simple thing that people always like to say about hip hop culture is that there are four elements, right? For me, there are five elements, and for many hip-hop practitioners, there are five. So you talk about a musical culture and an arts movement. Okay, so hip-hop culture is an arts movement, a social movement, a cultural movement, a poetic movement, a linguistic movement. It is all of those things at once. It's one of the things that makes hip-hop really unique. You had the emceeing, or what people call rapping, right, which is the lyrical verbal rhymes over beats. So you had the DJs, DJing, right? And you had um, you had uh, graffiti or writing. That art also came, the visual arts came along with that, right? And so you had also um, dancing, the body, movement, right? What people call break dancing or, or B-girl, B-boying, right? And you had all of those elements. And from day one, you always had the fifth element, which was knowledge, right? And so hip hop also always had to be about something, even as it was fun, even as if it was joyous and revolutionary and rebellious, right? There was always that element that was interwoven, you know, sometimes a little bit heavier, sometimes a little bit implicitly or explicitly, right? Was that element of knowledge. And so hip hop as a culture, we talk about it beginning in 1973, and that's the date that's been um, mythologized and historicized um, we are right now 50 years, so we talk about hip-hop entering its museum phase, right? And so... Right, so what happened in 73? So as that culture in 73, right, you had all of the, the, the block parties, the parties in the park where people were getting together and creating something out of what they were told was nothing, 
But with that particular, uh, Chuck D wasn't making music, I don't think, in 73. In particular, the the way this gets historicized is Cool Herc uh, and his sister Cindy uh, throwing this kind of first party on Sedgwick Avenue. Uh, This is the way the history is told, right? This is the way the culture itself tells the history from the inside out and sort of marks that date or stamps that date. I think from an intellectual perspective, it's obvious that hip hop predates 73. There were people engaged in all of those forms, including rapping, right? To some extent before that, and it draws on that wellspring of African musical, cultural, linguistic history in the African-American oral tradition, right? But 73 gets stamped as that sort of hip hop date. This is why this year, uh, when you have the, the Grammys, right, and they're celebrating 50 years of hip-hop cultural history, uh, that's 73 to 2023. Um, right. This was one of the one of the goals of Freedom Moves, uh, hip-hop knowledges, pedagogies, and futures, which I know we'll get about that to the knowledges and pedagogies and futures um, subtitle, but this was actually what we were documenting over a period of 10 years. Myself, Jeff Chang, Casey Wong, we're working together as a team, and we invited all of the best uh, artists, activists, thinkers um, that were in our sort of network and our family, and we brought everybody together, the leading hip-hop scholars, folks like Mark Lamont Hill, Mark Anthony Neal, Joan Morgan, Treva Lindsay, uh, Chris Emden, uh, there are so many, along with pedagogical scholars, Gloria Latson Billings, Django Paris, uh, Maisha Wynn, uh, with artists like the Jizza from Wu-Tang, Chuck D, Rakim, Kwali, Jasiri X, uh, uh, Lila June, the Dream Warriors, and so many others. But what we did was create this conversation, Andrew. It's a dialogue where we're really taking stock of 50 years of hip-hop and what that means. Why is hip-hop the most transformative arts movement of our times? Okay, What's the next 50 years going to look like? Right. How about hip hop scholarship and hip hop activism, right? Hip hop has always had an activist brand, right? And so where is the on the ground hip hop activism today that is fighting for freedom in every city across America and every city across the globe? Uh, so that was sort of our, our, our mission. And I Sammy, think- do you think it's coincidental that you, you, you suggest that Hip hop was born in '73 or around that time. I assume, in some ways, as a rebellion, a reaction to mainstream rock and roll, that a similar thing was brewing with punk music. Could it be seen as as, as the punk of, uh, particularly of of, of the African American creative community? That's interesting because the political context is really important. So we're going to get to the musical context, but the political context, of course, in the 70s at that time, right? You just had in the late 60s, early 70s, America basically on fire, right? And burning with protests all over the country, right? And so you had the Black liberation movement going really strong in the 60s and the 70s. Politically, hip-hop picks up from that context onward. Right. So all of the black liberation movements at that time, from the Black Panthers to the Nation of Islam, is where, and you know, we talked about Chuck D, right? Is where hip hop picks up from in that period. Now, musically, as you say with punk rock, right, this grows out of the rebellion, right? And you think in particular of white American rebellion, right? The anti-war struggles, all of those, all of those kinds of rebellions were happening simultaneously, Vietnam, et cetera. 
And you had this kind of rebellious outgrowth. And in the early days, hip hop and punk often crossed or collaborated or were held in the same spaces, right? There was sort of an understanding of that rebellion uh, that is in particular that youthful rebellion. And a rebellion against large entertainment companies, mainstream culture, glam rock, superstar culture, which seemed to be in parallel in many ways. Although, what about in terms of the form, Uh, you know, comparing, I don't know, Chuck D and the Sex Pistols, do they have much in common? Uh, You could say in terms of rebellion, uh, in, in terms of the form, you could say that both genres sort of broke from past forms, right? In that they were... Uh, the verbal sort of lyrical quality. So punk was heavy on that as well, as well as the musical quality that was innovating and pushing against the grain. A lot of punk and hip hop, people sort of considered, right, as noise. So Trisha Rose's first book on hip hop culture in 1994 is called Black Noise, right? So this is how people perceived that kind of music that was cutting, that was scratching. Right, that was playing with the drums, that was playing with technology in new ways. And so I think in that way, you can sort of make a, a, a similarity. So let's get to the, the book. As you say, it's a, it's a major undertaking to celebrate 50 years of, 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 of hip hop history. You did it with, you were one of the editors, the other one, uh, one another, the second is Jeff Chang, and a third is, I think, a graduate student at UCLA, Casey Wong. Um, Casey Wong is now a professor at Georgia State University. Right, so I got him a bit early. So yeah. he, he was a, he was a postdoc, right. and now he's a professor. Right. Um, what's the goal of the book? Is it Are you trying to break out of academia, uh, Sammy, or is it really more for a scholarly community? Uh, this book hits multiple audiences at once. So one of the things we did uh, in terms of you cannot take stock of hip-hop culture by yourself. Okay, this culture is too big. It is too globally diverse. It is too rich, right? There are so many elements to the study of hip hop culture that it goes across every single discipline in the academy. So at UCLA, from the School of Music to the School of Education, Arts and Sciences, Humanities, right? It cuts across. There are so many different perspectives to bring together. So we brought the scholars together with the artists, together with the activists, so we can create a broader community in conversation and to create a forum around hip hop culture. So James G. Spady, one of the great historians uh, of our times who has now passed, uh, rest in peace, uh, from Philadelphia, talked about hip hop culture as an art form forum, that it is both an art form and a political forum at once. And so- It's a kind of platform then in a sense, or a community. A platform, a community dialogue, and that's what this book represents. It's kind of a living, breathing, uh, extension of hip hop culture that we have in this book. And you'll see that through every single chapter, you have people talking and breathing new life in the hip hop culture. Whether so it's performance, can... uh, it's in a way it's art. And how much does it reflect what you're trying to do at UCLA yeah. with all your, with, with this um, new, uh, uh, this new uh, institute uh, in, in hip hop studies? I know it's pretty ambitious. And are you, are you, uh, running it um, or you're just a piece of it? Uh, I'm faculty director of the UCLA Hip Hop Initiative along with uh, Tabia Shao and Samuel LaMontagne who are co-leads. And we have a critical mass of faculty, everybody from uh, Robin Kelly, Gay Teresa Johnson, Breon Bain, Cheryl Keyes, Adam Bradley, uh, you name it. We have a Scott Brown, there's Kyle Mays, 
uh, Shauna Redman. There's a whole critical mass of faculty taking so, the next philosophy, week. politics, culture. That's right. Art. That's right. Um, so, so it brings everything together. So you see this as the, you see in a way hip hop as the dots joining together the last yeah. 50 years of culture and politics. Yeah, well, we, we celebrate 50 years of hip hop cultural history at the same time we celebrate 30 years of hip hop scholarship. I think a lot of people might not know that, right? But we have uh, now hip hop scholarship produced from every discipline in the academy. Right, so every major conference, annual conference, has dozens of hip hop studies papers uh, and panels, for example. And so, what the initiative does is it links together the scholarship with the community, the culture creators. This is why it's important to have Chuck D teaching alongside of us, teaching and learning. So, this year, uh, we're bringing in Emil YX from the group Black Noise from South Africa, and he's one of our artists in residences as well as uh, Medusa, who's a local LA legend uh, in hip hop. And so we're bringing the culture creators in along in conversation with the Academy and together co-producing that knowledge uh, to take hip hop forward. Look, we're really interested in what hip hop looks like um, 50 years from now, but more importantly, what will people know and how people will understand hip hop 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 200 years from now. I'm motivated by something Chuck D said, and he said this to all of us uh, while we were working together. He said, you could either be a caretaker of the culture, Andrew, or you could be an undertaker of the culture. But at what point, Sammy, does it itself become something that people rebel against? I'm not sure if you watched Rihanna at the Super Bowl last night. Um, but to what extent has it become so mainstream now that the kids in L.A. or the the kids on the East Coast are just bored with it and they want to reinvent something else. They want to react just as uh, hip hop was in, I guess, in some ways, a reaction against mainstream jazz or certainly rock and roll. Well, you've already seen this, Andrew. It's a great question because you've already seen it happening within hip hop culture itself as you have new genres being birthed within hip hop all over. It's, it is a reaction to uh, sort of the hegemonic forms of hip hop that everybody knows. You have hip hop being reproduced in, in incredibly creative ways, right? You have that happening right now. And so uh, you could think about hip hop at a really interesting moment, right? You have it dominating the public sphere. Last year's Super Bowl halftime show uh, with Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige, hip hop dominated. It was the most watched halftime show ever. Then you have this year's hip hop Grammys. Right. It's the big 50th anniversary of hip hop celebration. Right. That saves the Grammys. So hip hop doesn't need the Grammys. The Grammys needs hip hop. Right. And so people are now watching the Grammys for that celebration. You cannot have any greater dominance in the public sphere than you do right now. So as hip hop is dominating the public sphere, it's also entering its museum phase, which means it's being taken far more seriously as far as its impact on American culture and its impact on global culture. Yeah, I like the idea. I like how you put it, entering its museum stage. And the other, that was the other question when it comes to global. You know, you, you presented in the book as uh, Latinx, Asian American, Arab, European, North African. We did a show um, last year with, I think, actually a colleague of yours at UCLA, Mark Levine, who has a book called uh, We'll Play Till We Die, which is, I guess, in a way, hip-hop music in the Middle East. Yeah. 
to, to what extent, Sammy, has this become a global movement? And did it come from America or was America itself importing <laughs> ideas and themes from elsewhere? So we'll begin with, with to what extent is it a global movement? And so one of the things that we do in the book Freedom Moves is we begin with that global diasporic knowledge. Okay, so we have artists from Spain, South Africa, Syria, Palestine, you name it. Okay, these are artists that are involved in producing hip hop, contributing to hip hop, taking hip hop further, evolving hip hop, and fighting their own freedom struggles from apartheid to occupation through the art form. Right. And so that's what we start the book off with. But it's also important to note that these struggles are happening locally in Chicago, Pittsburgh, New York, the Bay Area. Right. And they're happening right now. And that's part two of the book. Right. So when you think about hip hop's global uh, presence and dominance, there is a, a certain way where every country you go to from Japan to Brazil to Cuba to South Africa to Germany to France to Thailand. Right. Japan, you name it, Australia there's a presence and a strong presence of hip hop culture. Now, hip hop culture itself, right? When you talk to artists in South Africa, for example, they will tell you that that hip hop circle, that cypher, that drum, that dance, that beat, right? We were doing hip hop before it was hip hop is what they will say, right? As they themselves write themselves into hip hop history. And so you have all of that coming across the Atlantic, right? And giving birth with the interactions in the Caribbean, right? And so all of these global dynamics across the Black Atlantic, so to speak, right? From those, right, those very first movements, right, all the way on till now, it remains. One of the things that you see in hip hop is all the different sort of iterations, right? So people watch the Grammys and they didn't think of Bad Bunny as a hip hop artist, but he's rapping over Afro diasporic, Afro Caribbean beats, right? And so you get to have all these iterations happening all over the world, right? So it was global in terms of its, of, its, of its start, you know, starting in this sort of black freedom cultural tradition, but it has really spread out nearly to every corner of the globe. Uh, now there's a thing called global hip hop studies. Right. So, I mean, when I think of Black Lives Matter, which was of course a pivotal mm -hmm. moment mm -hmm. politically, mm -hmm. um, I don't think of it as a, in terms of its musicality, I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong, how, how do you see hip-hop playing with the Black Lives Matter movement? And ha, ha, are we seeing hip-hop politicians, real politicians, particularly in the Democratic Party, or is that a contradiction in terms? Uh, no, it's not a contradiction in terms, but I'll begin with how we're seeing uh, hip-hop and its sort of uh, its connection to Black Lives Matter. Um, so you remember the Ferguson uprisings. Yeah, of course. Uh, and this is, this is before most people caught wind of Black Lives Matter, et cetera, and what was happening on the ground, and before that with Trayvon Martin. And so you had all of these hip-hop artists being involved in that movement early on, but in very direct ways in the book. The reason why we call this Freedom Moves is because hip-hop is fighting on the ground in connection with Black Lives Matter, Andrew, and also on its own, sort of in its own front and through its own organizations. And so you have Jasiri X, for example, in Pittsburgh, Right. You have Kumba Links in Chicago. You have the Mural Music and Arts Project in East Palo Alto in the San Francisco Bay Area as just three examples. You have what's going on uh, all over the country uh, in Los Angeles. And so you have all of these hip hop community organizations on the ground fighting for freedom, fighting against oppression and fighting for right, these new just 
futures. And you have that fighting against, you have reparations, you have uh, abolition, you have police uh, abolition and police reform, and you have all of these, uh, these items on the agenda of hip hop organizations as they work with youth and communities on the ground all across every urban center in the country. So hip hop links up to Black Lives Matter, but it's important that it's also continuing the movement of the past well into the future. That's not going to be on the Grammys. That's not going to be on the Super Bowl. It won't even be on the radio, but that's happening on the ground. That's why we need, I'm a little biased, but an anthropological approach to hip hop culture, which actually engages uh, with the culture creators. Are we seeing this in politics? Are we seeing hip hop infused politicians? Is that, as I said, a contradiction in terms? It's not actually a contradiction in terms. So you've had this, uh, very early on with the hip hop national hip hop political convention. And this is decades ago now. And so there was a lot of political activity, direct political activity, engaging the political sphere uh, through hip hop culture and hip hop organizing into electoral politics. Um, you take that, you can even think about another point in time where you have the Obama campaign, right? And all of the political support and the political sort of um, engagement with, uh, with the Obama campaign across all levels of hip hop, even as some levels were critical of the Obama campaign and of Democrats in particular, right? Some, some people wanted more progressive leftist politics, uh, but you also had that engagement. And so you have hip hop politicians now, obviously, because there are folks who grew up on hip hop, just like you have hip hop professors, okay? There's all of us who grew up on hip hop culture are influenced by that. Uh, hip hop knowledge that was being dropped. Yeah, I'm interested you use this word pedagogies, which sounds rather academic. Uh, I assume when you're in the classroom, Sammy, you're not too academic or boring. Is there a way of teaching hip hop that escapes the traditional notion of pedagogy in, 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 in the university? You know, it's interesting because one of the things that hip hop does in every single space that it enters is that it transforms that space. Right, so hip hop doesn't come and say, okay, I will become that, that that you want me to be, right? It comes into a space and says, we're gonna transform this space to make it more equitable, more democratic, to make it more representative. And that's exactly what happened in, in education in terms of pedagogy. So everywhere you go now, all around the schools, there's an engagement with hip hop pedagogy. This begins with hip hop as an art form itself being a pedagogical form. Right. So you had. Is there room for dispute? I mean, it sounds a little orthodox. I mean, presumably not everyone agrees on everything. Oh, there's more voices in hip hop than one could even imagine. Right. But from the first days, it was each one teach one. Right. It was about what can you sort of get and learn and share. Right. From hip hop culture. Those early sort of informal pedagogies now inform more formal pedagogies happening in schools everywhere. The idea is to open up dialogue, not shut it down, right? So these, what hip hop pedagogies allows us to do is to think about not just how you transfer knowledge, how you educate, uh, particularly communities of color, um, and how you sort of educate towards freedom, right? But pedagogies allows us to think about now, where are we going as far as what do we want to produce? And hip hop's not interested in producing cheap sources of labor. Right. So what kinds of criticality are we producing through our engagement with the music and the culture? I think that's really important. Pedagogies is central 
uh, to this idea of freedom moves because that is sort of the, the process, right? The learning, the exchange. Remember, it's an art form and an art forum. And that and what's Chuck D like in the classroom? You mentioned uh, it's a memorable <laughs> experience. I assume he, he doesn't lecture. <laughs> you want to talk about pedagogy? We need to get Chuck D actually on the show. I bet. Oh, I, I, absolutely. Can, you, can, you, can you convince him to come on? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if we can do I'm that. I'm not sure if he'll remember me. Rem when you see him, remind oh. him that I was a friend of uh, Hassan Mia uh, well, and we were working together on Rap Station. He might remember. Chuck D has an incredible memory. I am certain he will remember you, Andrew. Um, but in terms of what was so this experience, we could talk about it in so many different ways because it was so enlightening, right? And it was it was what we were trying to do both in Freedom Moves and with the UCLA Hip Hop Initiative was that direct engagement. But while Chuck was dropping knowledge, was giving lessons, uh, I noticed his pedagogy. I, I'm a scholar of pedagogy. I write about culturally sustaining pedagogies. There's a whole chapter in Freedom Moves about culturally sustaining pedagogies. And I'm watching Chuck and I'm seeing how he uses humor, right? How he uses pauses and silences and even sounds, right? Gestures. Uh, he has this way of connecting with students in a, that's not just conversational, but it's, it's this informal way of connecting where he, before you know it, has woven a thread through the subject line for a number of hours to the point where light bulbs are popping off in the classroom and students are beginning to see things in new ways. He wanted this course to be their GPS for how they would navigate the future. Hip hop's that he said brought you in the door, but hip hop's also gonna be this course will be your GPS into how you navigate the future. So well, let, let's end with this navigation of the future, Sammy. I, I'm not going to ask you to predict the future. That's I can't do that. not, a, not a good question. But how would you like the future of hip hop to evolve? What would you like to see? You mentioned 50 years. That's a long yeah. time. Say in 10 or 20 years, where would you like to see hip hop go? I can tell you, uh, you know, it's impossible to pre predict the future, but I can't tell you what I'm seeing right now happening uh, in many different domains. In the last section of Freedom Moves, we talk about um, uh, queer, uh, disabled, feminist uh, approaches to building these futures, right? And so one of the things, uh, the most powerful ways that hip hop has evolved is from the inside out. So you have a whole black feminist movement happening within hip hop culture that has helped hip hop evolve, right? In even more democratic ways, you have uh, movements like uh, Crip Hop Movement, the Crip Hop Nation that has brought uh, race and disability to the forefront, right? And you have other movements that have brought queerness, right? And pedagogies to the forefront. And so hip hop continues to evolve and be an ever expansive community. That's why I was saying there's definitely not just one voice. It's not orthodox at all. We have these internal conversations and dialogues as hip hop continues to evolve, right? In these ways that allow for more, even more open dialogue. And I think that's the future of hip hop culture. Technologically speaking, you have a lot of things happening with um, avatars, with different forms of technology being used within the music. And that's shifting what the music sounds like, right? From compared to the classic sort of hip hop music that we're used to. And so you have these ideas politically, the music shifting, especially in, in, in relation to technology. And then you have this sort of global 
uh, expansion and iterations. And I see that as a, as a really interesting, three interesting places to look at uh, the future of hip hop culture. Not that I have a crystal ball, but uh, that's, that, that's what I see happening right now. 